Good morning. Welcome to Grace. I'm Pastor Ryan. Today's message in our series called Let There Be Light is a timely message for believers. No doubt all of us have been affected by what we've seen on the news this past week with the election results and the actions of so many that has been out of character with our expectations. But shouldn't we expect lawlessness from the world? And shouldn't believers find an increasing alienation of their values and convictions in a world that refuses to worship the true king? If you've misplaced your identity and hope in your earthly rulers and government, I have sober news for you today. You will continue to be dismayed as things are going to get worse. I'd like to thank you for joining with us today as we examine our identity and function as the church on earth. I I got these dogs at my house that love to bark. They love it. I've been trying to give some thought as to why that is. I mean, even like a little wind twitch of a a leaf and they're barking. I think it's similar to, do you remember what it was like when you were like early grade school and the teacher said, does anyone know the answer to this? And what all the kids do? And not middle school, because in middle school they're all like, "Mm." but you know what kids do, right? They're all, I know, I know. I I think that's what my dogs are doing in their heads. I think they're like, I think that's what barking is. Hey, hey, hey. They even bark at me. Uh, the the other night, I was uh, I, I had a lot of late night meetings, and I was coming home, and, and even though it was dark, and I got the the keys out. Sure enough, as soon as they hear the door, what do they start doing? Yipping and barking, right? Until I walk in to the light, and then and they know it's me, right? And I remember walking in this past uh, day with uh, my son, and I said to the dog, "Stop barking! I own you." <laughs> It's like I had to let them know. Uh, now, I, okay, granted, when I'm in the dark, they don't know, right? But who is the light a benefit for? Is the light a benefit for me or for them? It's for, it's for them. I know where I am. I, I'm at my house. I know who I am. I, I have no question on this. They don't. They need the light to inform them not only who I am, but whose they are. They need the light, and without the light, uh, they will confuse me. In fact, they might even misconstrue me as the enemy. In our world, there is great confusion. You've seen it this week, I've seen it this week, and I believe for many people, including many Christians, we have been led to a place of fear and turmoil because we have failed to remember our identity, who we are and whose we are. This problem of misplacing identity will lead to misplaced actions. Uh, Your identity will determine your expectations. Can I say that again? Everybody with me? Your identity, who you understand yourself to be, will determine what you expect to find. And I fear that because we have misprioritized this in our country, there are many Christians who think America is the church or that the president is Jesus. Now, I'm hoping those folks aren't here, but those folks exist. And let me tell you, those are the folks the news cameras want to capture and show more chaos and more turmoil. 
So this morning, I am actually going to preach a message that I had slated on my calendar planned for the week before Christmas. We're in a season called Let There Be Light. This is a series that follows through Christmas and the star and the announcement to the shepherds and to the magi. Jesus as the light of the world, the truth of theology that God himself is light. Well, today's message, I believe, by God's working was postponed for this week. Because I think we need, a, we need a reminder. I need a reminder. I, I might really despair. I might really lose hope if I confuse my identity as an American Christian rather than a Christian who lives in America. You understand? Those are completely different identities. And so that's what we're going to look at today. I do want to begin uh, with just a word of caution as I've been studying this and as I've been um, um, excited to share it with you. I I want to preach quick. I love this message, but I'm going to do my best to go slowly because this, we all got to get there together this morning. All right. We need to really focus on what God's word says so that I'm not giving you a feel good message I'm giving you training. I'm giving you instruction as to how you, as a believer, how you as a Christian need to understand your identity and how that looks corporately as belonging to a certain people that are not defined politically. Are you guys with me today? This, I, I'm trying to say I got to move slowly because we got to get there together, but I kind of want to run. So um, uh, the, the last caution I have to give as I'm sharing with you to be a core message, you might not like this message. And that's okay. You, you need to wrestle, not with me, you need to wrestle with what God's word says on this subject. So with that, I'd invite you to turn in your Bibles to the book of First Peter. It's towards the back of your New, New Testament. And we're going to look at a, a theme that, that drives Peter's admonition to the church. It's a, it's, a, it's a way that Peter conceives of the definition of the church. That's what we're looking at today. Today is defining who we are. What is our identity? And and that's what Peter uses as leverage uh, to therefore then lead with expectations. Remember, your identity defines your expectations. And so we don't have time to do the whole book of Peter as much as I would like to this morning. Um, But we're going to focus in on that key foundation that Peter understands to share with us that leads to the rest of those expectations. So 1 Peter uh, chapter 2. Uh, verses 9 and 10, um, and then we're going to just dip our toe in verse 11. All right, here we go. If you're there, say amen. amen. Okay, here we go. Uh, book of 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people belonging to God that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Um, The Pew Bibles, are those terribly different? But basically the same. Good, good. Uh, we'll come back to uh, verse 11 as we work through this. But everybody with me? That's the, that's the main concept here. Paul gives four amazing treasures of phrases to help the church 
understand who they are. And I'd like to unpack those for you this morning. So first of all, if you start with me in verse 9, he says, but you, who's the you he's talking to? The church. We all on the same page? Paul is talking to the church. Uh, the church in Segola. It's a trick question, by the way. It's yes and no, right? So yes, he's talking to the church in Segola, but he's talking about the church globally. He's talking to not a church. He's talking to the church. So the first thing that he declares to you in verse 9 is that you are a chosen people. I want to I talk to you about this word chosen. Uh, it's the same word that's used uh, in other places as elect. God picked you. I, I, I want to make sure that we understand what's going on here. God did not pick you because you're awesome. Just got to start there. Um, when I was... Uh, when I was in fourth grade, uh, we played kickball uh, at, at recess time, and I loved kickball because I was awesome at kickball. I loved to run to bases, right? And here's the thing that just, as a kid, boggled my mind, how you could take a ball, because a kickball is a big ball, right? And you could smash that ball so far because it has this high uh, uh, elasticity to it. That's what it is. It wasn't me. The girls could kick farther than me, but... <laughs> But I thought it was me, right? So uh, I thought when it was time to pick teams, because that's how we did it at recess, uh, you know what? Any team I made it on, boy, they were lucky to have me. That's what I thought. That's not what's going on here, right? That's not what this is. God does not choose you because you offer anything to him. The metaphor that I use most often to teach on this is that you would understand in your sin, there's nothing lovely about you before God. Uh, when I worked on the uh, mission field, we had in each settlement where uh, folks were scattered, uh, there was a dump. Now, we, there's kind of dumps around here, right? But uh, American regulations have tightened those up. Well, not so on the islands. These dumps are always open and they were always on fire. And um, one of the things that you'd find is that people would come all day long and dump off their trash. I mean, you would have everything from uh, um, leftover food that was rotten to dirty diapers to containers heaping and smoke that never ended billowing up all day long. By the way, that's the same theme that Jesus used to describe hell, that hell is the place where the smoke never ends like a dump. In fact, it was done in a valley they avoided. Um, the Kinnam Valley, and so that place was called Gehenna. That's the word that we have in the New Testament for hell. The fire never burns, stops burning. Well, on the island, every now and then, you would see people from the town combing through the trash. Do you know what they were doing? They were looking for something they could redeem. They were looking for something that they could repurpose and find value in. And they did this because they lived on an island. This is what Jesus has done for you. I, 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 was, I was a dirty, rotten milk carton. That's, that's what I am on the trash heap of that which deserves to be burnt. And you know what Jesus did? Jesus walked by and he said, I can, I can use that. It doesn't have to be burned. And he picked it up and he popped out the... The areas that were all dented in and he took a hose and he rinsed it out and he put it in his pack and now he's got a purpose for that milk container. Now what does that milk container say as it walks by the rest of the trash? <laughs> oh, the, the milk container cries out, I found somebody who found value in me. He redeemed me. 
for a purpose. I cry out to the rest of the heat. Follow this one, this one who can make you new again so that you won't be trash. That is what this word chosen means. Uh, Paul clarifies this to another very worldly church in the book of Corinthians. The, the Corinthian church is just like the American church. They thought very highly of themselves. Uh, this is what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 1. He says, but God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So if God's speaking here, Peter, through the spirit to the church and you are chosen, what are you? Go on. What's it say? Foolish and that's it. That's it. So I, I want us to understand at the very beginning here, this is not some sort of a uh, God's got uh, just has to choose you. And man, God's so lucky to have you. That's not what's going on here. We've got to get our perspective straight. Um, he chose you for a purpose. And so that's what this first word means. You have a purpose. That is why you're chosen. Um, I want to share with you how Jesus declares this in John chapter 15. Jesus says to his disciples, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you so that you may go and bear fruit. Fruit that will last. That is your purpose. So this first word that we're given here, chosen, it doesn't sit alone. It's, it's a chosen people. Did everybody notice that? Uh, understand it doesn't say chosen person. It says chosen people. Now, this is fantastic because the people of God are a race. Did you know that? But we're not racial. The people of God are a kind of united together, defined tribe of individuals that are classified not in various different ways, but under one single common thread. You are a singular people. I, I, I'd love it if you're in your Bibles right here in chapter 2. Just turn to the very beginning of his letter. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. I want you to see how Peter is working to identify the church as a singular people, even though they're scattered all over the place. So read the first verse of the book. Uh, Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ, to God's elect. That word elect is the word chosen. Strangers in the world scattered. Did your Bible say scattered? Yeah, this is where the church is. Scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. Peter is talking to a singular people who live where? They live all over the place. You are a race of people, but you're not defined racially. In fact, when he talks to the Galatian church, he says this. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's neither slave nor free, male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. Here's how I want you to think of it. Let, let, me, let me give you the, the game plan of God. God loves the nations. He sent his son to die for the world. But he's going to use us to reach the whole world. Here's how I want you to think of it. If you can imagine that there was a, a system set up by which if you got your agricultural plant to grow, so imagine your favorite plant that you plant in your uh, corn. Anybody with me? Who's on potatoes? Let me talk to the potato people. Potato, right? Whatever that is, your favorite plant, whatever it is, if you can get it to grow in the field, you get the field. 
That's a little bit of how God understands the earth. Even though the whole earth belongs to him, um, if the earth were a set of plots of fields surrounding the whole earth, this is what God has done. He has taken some of his seed and he's thrown it in that field over in Bithynia. He's taken some of it over here and he's thrown it in Cappadocia. He's thrown a bunch over here in Asia. He sprinkled a little bit in Segola, one or two in Channing. (laughs) And then you know what he does? He waits. Because what does that seed do? It germinates and then it sprouts and then it grows. And then do you know what it does? It produces more seed. It produces fruit. It produces more seed. And so what God's doing is he's waiting. He's waiting and he's allowing the work of reproduction to happen. And this is happening through his chosen people. God is reclaiming for himself men and women from every tribe, nation, tongue, and race to be redeemed. And those redeemed are like a plant sprouting that over time begins to spread so that as God returns back once more, he takes a look at the field that once was barren or once was filled with weeds, but now you know what he finds? He finds potatoes everywhere. He finds whatever it is for you, right? He finds corn everywhere. And who's that field belong to? Belongs to him. That's God's great design in choosing you as a singular people. Now, last thing I'm going to say on this, and I think it's awesome, what it means is that we we are a collective people who are scattered. This means any one of them have the same access that you have here. You and you have access to what they have. It's like you could take any one of those plants. So if I picked one of them over in uh, Cappadocia and then I picked another one over in Segola, if I compare them, do you know what they are? They're the same. They're the same family. They, they got the same properties. This, now, each one is unique to its environment to grow best in its environment, but they're the same plant. Now, that is awesome because what that means for you is that you could travel anywhere on this earth and you can find Christians who are part of your people, the same as you and I. And they have equal access as you do to those blessings that we share right here in Segola, as you would have if you saw them somewhere else. All right, let's move on to our next word here. So chosen people, we're set with that. He next calls them a royal priesthood. I'm going to begin with talking about uh, priesthood. Uh, the, the original word here could mean an order of priests. You guys, you know what a priest is? We might think, uh, we might think uh, Catholic. Maybe that's not Johnny, Johnny. You might be thinking something like that. <clears throat> that's not the best uh, idea, but it's not too far off. So biblically, here's what priests do. Priests define your function. A chosen people defines your identity. A royal priesthood defines your function. This is what you and I, this is what we do. What does a priest do? A couple of things. A priest operates for leadership and corporate worship. A priest operates as intercession and takes leadership within ministry. I want you to think about this for a moment. This church doesn't have one priest. It's a priesthood. Think about that for a moment. You know what that means? That means you are a priest and that your function is defined by that. Um, Turn to your neighbor and say, you're a priest. (laughs) Turn back to them and say, no, you're a priest. (laughs) Uh, uh, 
one of the one of the basic Old Testament functions of a priest is that they were the mediator between God and man. Think with me on a moment. Don't let me lose you on this. The function of a priest was to be the mediator between God, who is, who who dwells in unapproachable light. If you were to approach God with sin, what would happen to you? All right. But the priest is the mediator. You get access to God by going through the priest. And now Peter, through the Spirit, tells us, you're a royal priesthood. Here's what that means. You have the task. You have the function, not just of corporate worship. You have the task and the function of introducing those sinners to who? Joy knows it. She told us already. This is what your job is. To go and be that one who brings the introduction. Have you ever had, um, have you ever had a friend with you? Uh, and then you, you meet another one of your friends, but they don't know each other. You know, you know what I'm talking about? And, and you're like, oh, yeah, this is, a, this is my friend Lois here. And, and Lois is, is my friend Paul. Do you know what you're functioning as in that moment? A, a priest. That's what your job is with God and, the, and your neighbor. You, do you, yes or no? Do you know God? Come on. Ooh, that was terrible. Do you know God? Yeah. Yes. Whew. All right, good. I got a whole different sermon if that's our answer. So uh, if, if, if you know God, then you get to introduce him. Is he, here's another yes or no. Is he your friend? Yes. yes. You get the ta- a priest's task is to introduce him to your neighbor and, and have them know who they are. So that, that's what priest is doing here. But there's a word that comes before it. Did you see it? Look, look at it in your Bible. It's not just priesthood. It's a royal priesthood. Let, let me talk about that briefly. It, it talks about two things. Two things you need to understand by the virtue of you being a royal priesthood. Number one, it means you serve the king, so it speaks to quality. This ain't some homegrown priesthood. This ain't backwoods priesthood, all right? You're a priest of the king, all right? So that means we take this job seriously. It's of our highest quality. You don't offer to God in an effort to function as a priest your second best or your third best. What do you offer to God? First, because it's not just a priesthood. It's a royal priesthood. So the, the first part here speaks to our quality. The second half of it speaks to our confidence. Because you serve the king. Man, guys, that's good news. Does it look like your world, our world is messed up right now? Do you all see that dude sitting in the Senate chamber that, with, the, with the horns and the body paint? And, I mean, uh, the rest of the world watching this being like, I think America's lost its marbles. Um, if, if you have got your identity mistaken, you're going to be losing your marbles this week too. But you don't serve that throne you don't serve that seat unless you've got your agenda's uh, identity a little bit wonky. You serve the king. And so you carry a sense of confidence that the king is where right now? Where is King Jesus right now? He is on the throne. Amen. He is on the throne. Uh, again, a, a friend of mine this week was praying for me and said, I just want to send you this little message. And in that message was this verse that was shared. I wanted to share it with you. Uh, Psalm 62, 5 and 6 says this. Find rest, O oh my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from Him. He alone is my rock and my salvation. He is my fortress. I will not be shaken. 
My salvation and my honor depend on God. He is my mighty rock, my refuge. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your hearts to him, for God is our refuge. Not CNN, not Senator fill in the blank. God is our refuge. Uh, Secondly, two other main truths that was already spoken this morning. In Ephesians 1, we know this. uh, The uh, power is the same as the mighty strength that was exerted when God raised Christ from the dead and seated him where? At his right hand in the heavenly realms. If you go one chapter forward in Ephesians 2, watch this. And God raised who? That's us. He raised the church up with Christ and seated us where? In those heavenly courts. So, everybody with me here? You can have a confidence. When the world is shaken, when the world is in despair, you you don't have to be. Because your confidence rests on the king who is on the throne. And no imposter can ever come in and, and overthrow. So, you are a chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. Number three, you are a holy nation. All right, this is the one that I think might be hard for some people. This phrase is a direct allusion to what God says to the Israelites after they've left Egypt. It comes from the book of Exodus 19, 5 and 6. I have it up here on the screen. Just, just go with me on this for a moment. The Israelites are in slavery. God leads them out of slavery. And yet their hearts and appetites long for Egypt. It's a problem. Everybody understand that's a problem? Now, let me just relate that to us real quick. If you couldn't add two and two up, God has saved you out of slavery, but your flesh and appetite still wants what? You want to go back to Egypt. This is why Peter has to describe us as a holy Nation. Here are the words that God says to Israel. He says, now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests. Ah, we already covered that, right? It's your function to serve as a priest, introduce your neighbor to God, who's your friend, and a holy nation. These are the words here to speak to the Israelites. So let's talk about that for a minute. Um, to be holy means to be set apart, means to be set apart. Please do not make the confusion of thinking that American means Christian. I thank God that I live in a free country. What if that country decides not to extend to me the freedoms that my faith requires, though? What if that happens? Is that possible, by the way? Is that possible? Is it possible for the government to say, you're not allowed to gather to worship. Is that possible? Has that happened? Yeah. Um, you, you, you give a politician an inch, and what might they take? So, listen. Uh, on, on one hand, again, this might be a hard message for some people to hear. I am very thankful that I live in America, but I am a Christian before I am an American because I've been to other countries. And do you know what kind of people live there? Christians. They live there too. God has spread his seed in every one of these nations. And so you are called not to follow after the happiness afforded to you by America, which is what that identity holds to. It's it's in our constitution, life, liberty, and the pursuit of. You all on board with this, right? God instead wants and calls you to be not happy, but holy. He calls you to be 
holy, which means I'm set apart from the other nations. Now, the other word here is nation. I'd have to look it up on Google. It says a nation is a large body of people united by some common descent, history, culture, or language that inhabit a particular country or territory. Common descent. Do we come from a, a common descent? Think with me on this for a moment. I've, I remember I was in a, in a church where they had a lodge. Uh, you guys know like a fraternity, like a lodge. What are those called? Like a the Lions Club or the something where a bunch of guys go. I'm struggling. I should have prepared more on this. Don't you know what it's called? Whatever it's called. It's like a lodge. And what is Elks Club, something like that. What do these guys, refer, how do they refer to one another? Do you know? Brother. brother. They call each other Brother. I find that very offensive. Because what do we have the right to call each other? Brother and sister. Why? Because you come from common descent. You, you pledge yourself to ever, whatever you want to pledge yourself. You only get to call yourself a family if you have a single father. That's how it works. I'm not making that up. That's like how it works. So if you have a common father, you are brothers. You are sisters. Everything else is make-believe. Everything else is make-believe. So either the church comes from a common descent, which we do. Therefore, we have the right to call ourselves brothers and sisters. Uh, the other thing is here, it says that it inhabits a particular country or territory. Where, what country, what territory does the church inhabit? All of it. Oh, who said that? that Don, that's awesome. All of it. The, what, what does Jesus say? Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the... Yeah, the church is over the whole globe. So are we a holy nation? Yes or no? We are, by the very definition of it. One other passage I want to remind you of that Peggy read for, read for us was out of Isaiah 9. I hope you didn't miss it. I hope it's an encouragement to you in a week where your government's in the toilet. Here we go. What's this say? For unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And of his government and peace there will be no end. So who's your king? Who's your ruler? Who tells you your marching orders? It's Jesus Christ. All right, if you're with me, give me an amen on that. If you're with me. Yeah. All, right. All right, good. Uh, one, one, last, one last phrase and then my conclusions. He says, you belong to God. Do you see that? I'm going to read back in verse 9. Uh, you are a, a holy nation, a people belonging to God. And I, I want us just to make sure we understand the answer to the question, How? How did God do that? How did God make us a people? And it shows up right in that same verse if you continue a little further. How did he do it? He called you out of, say it with me, darkness and into his wonderful what? Light. Now I go home and I start to open the door and those dogs think I'm the enemy because they can't see. They can't see. They're in dark. But as soon as the door opens, the light shines. And they now understand who they are and they understand whose they are. The same is true for you. And uh, Peggy also read from us out of uh, Ephesians 5, which says that God has called you out of darkness and into light. So stop living in darkness because, and this was a really great version. I invite you to go back and study it again. I don't have it up here on the screen, but it says that everyone who the light shines on becomes another light. You become a light. I, I remember I was um, 
in college, I was having to fix um, my pickup truck. I think it was the EGR valve. It was hard. It was down. It was, it was very hard to fix. And it was dark out because it was winter and, you know, it gets dark soon. And so I'm out there and we're together and we're kind of rummaging around and I'm trying to, I can't see. So I'm trying to feel for the parts. And then my roommate says, hey, I got a flashlight. <laughs> Get your flashlight then. <laughs> if you have the ability to shine light, what do you suppose you should do? Shine it. Do you hear the message, folks? If you have the ability to shine light, shine it. This is what God did for you, and by doing so, He has made you His possession. That's awesome. All right, you guys ready to get our conclusions? Here we go. Number one. You need to make your primary identity your primary concern. You need to make your primary identity your primary concern. For this, I need you to look back into 1 Peter chapter 2. And we need to dip our toe in verse 11 very quickly. Look what, look what Paul says after he says, you, you've now received mercy. Uh, verse 11. One moment. Paul, uh, Peter, I think I said Paul. Peter says, dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. Um, he, he's not able to give the expectation of how you need to avoid sin until he has first established who you are. Do you belong here? Hold on, read again. You are an alien and a stranger in this world. You need a passport to be here if you're a Christian. You're an alien. You need to go through customs to be here right now because your citizenship is somewhere else. You may not like hearing that, but don't fuss with me. This is what the Bible is saying. And I I need to just reinforce this to you. So look what it says in John 17. This is Jesus praying for you. Just as Jesus praying to the Father for you, he says to the Father, I have given them your word and the world has hated them. For they, who's the they? That's us. For they are not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Philippians chapter three, Paul locked up in chains says, but we, but our citizenship is where? Yeah, so your passport does not read America unless you're confused. It's a secondary identity. Secondary. Your citizenship is in heaven. Therefore, my first point to you is you need to make your primary identity your primary concern. You still need to be concerned about what's going on in our world. In fact, in February... We are going to hit a whole new series of a string of messages that are designed to equip us to be in this world. That's the direction we're headed. But before I can set you loose to be active in this world, you got to get your primary identity uh, rock solid first. That's, that's what we're doing this morning. So uh, you still need to be loving uh, your neighbor. You still need to be uh, fighting for justice. You still need to be the voice of the voiceless. That's your role here. But don't make that your primary Identity, as though you're doing it under some banner of social justice as an American Christian. You are a Christian who lives in this country, and if by some reason you move to Canada, guess what you are there too? You're a Christian there too. Make your primary identity your primary concern. Number two, 
you should be concerned about your primary identity. This means that you not, not only make number one number one, but when number one starts acting like it shouldn't, you need to give your attention to it. When, when the church starts looking divided, when the church starts looking embittered and judgmental, uh, we need to press stop on the, on the caravan and say, we're going we're gonna to run off the road if we keep going like this because we need to be concerned about our primary identity. Here's how Jesus regulates this in Matthew chapter 5. He says, you are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. So we need to make sure that we're most concerned here about our, our identity uh, and striving for unity. Uh, when, I was, when I was 19 years old and I went to the Caribbean for the first time where I eventually became a missionary, um, I, I tried to get to know the people best. And as a 19-year-old, uh, those people were my peers. And so I would go play basketball with them uh, at night. So from like 9 p.m. till like almost midnight, we would play basketball. That's back when I had energy and could, you know, could jump at all. Um, but one of the things that I quickly noticed on the team was that uh, when you would be playing with them, they loved to tear each other down. When, when someone made a bad pass, the other people on the team would be like, you're no weirdo, what are you doing? And that guy would, you know, do, do one of these. And I'm looking at this saying, what is wrong with you guys? Like, you have already beaten yourself. How are you going to beat anybody else? You, you have no unity because all you do is want to pass judgment on one another inside. You might as well sit on the bench. You've already lost. Everybody tracking with me on this? Right? You're, you are a team. This is a team. It's a family and it has a diversity of functions. If we are not unified, you've already lost. You just better sit on the bench and... Uh, I, I remember uh, I, I grew up uh, at my school watching Joe Kriegel uh, play basketball. And uh, he did something that I remember my mom and dad saying they loved. When the whistle would blow, when he committed a foul, Joe Kriegel would do this. He, he'd raise his hand because he knew he was guilty. And I remember them saying, oh, look at that. That shows integrity with that young man. And I remember being little being like, integrity? Hmm. <laughs> And so I'm playing with these guys in the Caribbean. And so when I mess up, do you know what I do? That was my fault. I didn't need them to tell me. I owned it myself. And do you know what happened after a couple months of playing with those guys? They, they started doing the same thing. You need to be concerned about your primary identity where it, doesn't, where it doesn't match up. Otherwise, we've lost already. Number three, worship the king. This one's not hard to find. Verse nine says this. He brought you out of darkness... I a wonderful light that you may declare the praises of him. This is what a priest does. They declare praises. Why, do, why should you declare praises? Verse 10, look with me on this. Once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, now you have received mercy. And so this is your function. You need to worship the king. Number four is very similar. What does a priest do? He introduces others for what purpose? That they too may worship the king. Um, Jesus says in Matthew 5, after he talks about you being salt, he says, you are the light of the world. A 
town or a city that's built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone who is in the house. If you're, in, if you're a part of the church, you're in the light. You, you know better now. You're like my dog. You've had your eyes open. You get it. And you now get the opportunity to call others and invite others to come worship the king. Lastly, number five is this. You need to live according to your identity and according to your purpose. Live according to your identity and according to your purpose. I want to one last time conclude in verse 10. Once you were not a people of God. You ready for identity? Here it comes. But now you are the people of God. You need to live accordingly. In effort to challenge us to that end, and I want to make one point here as you look at this slide. These are verbs. I kind of snuck application into the observations here, but these are all things you do. And in an effort to give you something to talk about on the ride home, ask your husband this. Ask your wife this. Talk to, talk to the folks in your vehicle about this. Uh, two, two different categories. Do you live like a pilgrim? Or do you live like a peasant? Remember, verse 11 says that we're, we are aliens and we are strangers. Your Bible may be a little different. It might have the word pilgrim. You're just passing through. And I'm going to give you some categories here for how you and I should be thinking of this. The diff, that might be a little hard to read. Hopefully, hopefully you can read it. But I'll, I'm going to just walk through it quickly. A pilgrim uses his possessions only to help reach his destination. Can you imagine a pilgrim thinking old hobo, right? With a stick and a, you know, thing on it, right? What, what's he doing? Is he making a, making a home where he is? He's just passing through. So that dude's not carrying suitcases. His possessions are only valuable in so far as they help him reach his destination. But what, what, what does a peasant do? Well, a, a peasant collects possessions. They collect them. They, they fill their luggage with them. Let's talk about character. A pilgrim's character is defined by his home country. Uh, be very careful with the when in Rome concept. You live in Rome right now, and Rome is wicked. Be very careful with that. A peasant, a peasant's character is defined where he lives, but a pilgrim carries the character of where he's going. Let's talk about distractions. A pilgrim is careful not to get distracted, right? A pilgrim traveling, he's got to get on the road. Now, there might be another road this way that, ooh, look what's down there. And we got a sail over here. What's he going to do? I got I to go this direction. But what does a peasant do? Peasant lives there. They say, ooh, let's see what's down this road. And I, I want to know what's over here. And, and they're led astray, curious for every one of the local roads. A pilgrim has no expectations for prosperity. A peasant will strive for riches and wealth. A pilgrim expects difficult roads. If you've ever seen a vagabond, or if you've ever seen somebody who's, who's moving from one place to the next, take a look at their shoes. They, hopefully, generally, they're wearing the right shoes because they expect the road to be bumpy. But what about a peasant? Peasant does what when the road gets bumpy? Appeals to the local government. Yeah, fix this road that I got to drive on all the time. I, don't want, I need it smooth. That's what I want. I want it easy. That's what I want. That's what a peasant wants. A pilgrim expects difficult roads. A pilgrim's people are transient and dispersed, but they're faithful. A peasant's neighbors are either their creditors or their competitors. That's how a peasant lives. 
Uh, one, one other category on this for you to think through, and it's not living, but it's how you think. Do you think like a missionary or a miner? And I don't mean minor like under 12 or minor like I dig for gold. I mean somebody who says it's mine. As a minor, somebody who wants it for, for mine. Let me walk you through this just very quickly. A, a missionary will look for those who are teachable. A minor will avoid anybody who could trespass on their property. They're very defensive about how close they let people come. A missionary will not fear national unrest. I, I lived as a missionary. I remember what it was like to have the government <laughs> kind of messed up. But you know what I thought? Hey, my government. Like that, I, I'm here for a mission. I know what my purpose is. You all work this out amongst yourselves. But I am here on a mission. I'm not led into despair by national unrest. A minor will dread the loss of their advantages. When the government isn't giving them what they wanted, what I voted for, yeah, that miner is going to really lose their marbles in that moment. But not a missionary. A missionary depends on and supports the local body of Christ. They, they, de- they define themselves that way. A miner depends on themselves or all others only so far as they can serve my needs. A missionary is willing to give up everything to go and reach the lost. But a miner builds fences and builds bigger barns and buys insurance policies because a miner tries to protect what they think is theirs. A missionary is willing to give it all up. A missionary makes the most of every opportunity because he knows his time is short. A miner thinks he'll live forever. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest. A missionary's home is not his home. A miner's home meets all of his desires. Is this enough application for you? Everybody kind of, you know what to think through here? I want you to ask the question, do I live like a pilgrim or a peasant? And do I think like a missionary or a miner? And I'll leave you with this last verse. Hebrews 11. The writer speaks to the church saying this about those who lived and walked by faith. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only welcomed them from a distance, admitting they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they're looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And of his government and peace, there will be no end. Let's pray.